What is your killer strategy? The one that gives your business the ultimate bulletproof competitive advantage. Welcome to Your Advantage Play with your host, Joel Block. Former professional blackjack player and card counter who left Las Vegas and spent his life in that giant casino on Wall Street in the hedge fund and venture capital businesses. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. We have a very special guest here today, uh, current uh, TV announcer and pregame, postgame show host, sideline reporter, end game reporter for the Kansas City Royals, Joel Goldberg, uh, very nice friend of mine. And uh, I asked him to talk to us today about some of the things that happen in business that uh, parallels baseball as we get ready to open uh, baseball season here. So, you know, uh, among the questions that we're thinking about, how are we going to retain our people? How can we take the best care of our people in this post-pandemic world? How are we dealing with change in this new world? And are we attending to their mental health in a way that really gets the job done? And finally, are we building a culture in spite of the fact that we may not all be in the office together? How is that happening? So to answer those questions and more, Joel Goldberg, welcome to the show. Joel, thanks for having me. And uh, it's like in the sports world, it's the home and home. You were on my podcast a while back. Now I get yeah. to come on to your podcast. Yeah, well, listen, it's like, uh, you know, I, I travel to your ballpark and then you travel to my ballpark. Yeah. How about that? That's it. Yeah, it works. And yeah. uh, it's good to be here. And, and you know, it's it's you and I were talking beforehand, too. And I, I do a lot of corporate speaking, keynoting around the country. And, you know, baseball to me is a great teaching tool. I never do a baseball speech and it'll be the same thing. I think with this podcast too, we'll, we'll hit on some baseball things, but if you're watching or if you're listening, this is really not meant to be about baseball, but what I love about baseball and I tell all my audiences, this, the legendary Negro leaguer, Buck O'Neill, who was a, a player and then a manager and one of the great major league baseball ambassadors in part because of, uh, um, a great bit that he did on David Letterman, which put him on the map, which came after the baseball series, uh, the, the documentary. And so he was a beloved figure, uh, recently inducted into the Hall of Fame after his death. And he said, he said, baseball teaches all of the lessons. And um, the reason why is because it's every day. Right. And so whether you like baseball, or not whatever it is, like some of those, those other sports, you, you, you work all week to gear up for one day. Baseball is five, six, seven days a week. And I think most of us can relate to the fact that we put our head on the pillow and we have to go back and do it again the next day and the next day and the next day. It's an amazing, it takes an amazing amount of endurance. One of the things I always uh, loved about baseball, uh, you know, as, as I loved about it as a kid and I, I love it as an adult is baseball is the way a lot of us kids learned about math. You know, we mm. learned about numbers. We memorized statistics and, and it really, you know, was really an incredible way. Kid, the worst kid in math class you know, could be the best memorizer of statistics in baseball, which basically told you it was really about the teacher, not about the kid. <laughs> the kid was plenty smart to, to learn what he needed to learn, you know? Yeah. And I don't know what, why it's the baseball statistics, Joel, that, that jump out more to people than any others. I think it's just that because every sport has their statistics and, and every sport has its analytics now, just like every business has its analytics. I mean, you know, we we have so much technology in every industry now to be able to measure anything, anytime, anywhere um, from anyone. But I, I think baseball had those 
old school traditional stats, when you talk about it, it wasn't the counting stats. We can remember that this guy has this many home runs and, you know, this guy has this record for most home runs. It's the percentage stats. That That's how guys, I think, like me and you learned some of our division and our percentages. And, and you know, well, how do you figure out batting average? Okay, it's the number <laughs> of, of hits divided by the number yeah. of the bats, all that type of stuff. And it's like, shoot, we can do that in our head. Yeah. You know, uh, let's talk about statistics here for a minute. Not baseball. Let's, let's talk about business. Um, businesses measure all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, coming from the accounting world originally myself, I think a lot of what businesses measure is historical. Uh, it's not necessarily predictive. What are what are some of the things that uh, that you see companies measuring? And maybe we come back to baseball too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, let, let's talk about some of the things they measure. What are things that you see they measure that uh, that have correlation to uh, to maybe baseball or something else? Well, I mean, in the simplest terms, they measure a company and 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 their producers, their employees wins and losses, their production, right? And uh, that's no different than not just baseball, but any sport. You you hear it all the time. At the end of the day, we're measured by our wins and losses, right? Uh, and, and, And so now the question is, how do you get there? I think what has changed over the years is that we, we, in the past, we, we used our statistics to measure, you know, how much someone sold something and how much they hit their goals and the benchmarks and all of this. But now we're using it same as baseball too, from a predictive standpoint, we're, we're measuring more than just the production. We're, we're measuring personalities. We're measuring, uh, you know, how someone is is feeling on a given day whether that be physically or mentally i mean at this point with all the you know the 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 culture tests and the personality tests we're measuring before we hire somebody who we're getting will they fit into this group and and on and on and on and that to me is is a really exciting thing we're seeing the same thing in baseball as well do you think we're over measuring i mean are we measuring too many different things and and there's so many things that, that it becomes irrelevant I don't think we're over measuring. I think we're overreaching oftentimes on our reliance on it because, and this is true again, baseball business. I, I think in what I would call one, I would call the fantasy world, even though it's real. And the other one I'd call the real world because it's just <laughs> more normal everyday life for people. Because you want to talk about a statistic, you know, this in, and I'll get back to your question, but in baseball, you're one of the best hitters. If you're successful 30% of the time. Yeah. I don't know a whole lot of businesses where that is going to cut it. So, um, you know, there's some differences there, but I, I don't think that we're, I don't think that we're measuring too much. I think where we're going wrong at times is when we're relying on that data as the end all be all that data and all those measurements and all those numbers, which not everybody's going to understand anyway, should help inform us. It should help make our decisions help they're all tools i mean it's no different than all the artificial intelligence that's coming out right now all the stuff about chat gpt and all the ai stuff it's great it's groundbreaking but if you're just going to say hey go do this for me and i'm going to wipe my hands clean of it no it, it should help inform you it should help challenge you to think a little bit what what all of those numbers should be doing in business and in baseball is having us question whether our perceptions are right or not. I mean, the best way I like to say this in the in the baseball terms is that you have really two types of evaluators. You have 
and I'm lumping two categories, uh, dividing two categories here. You have the old school scout who is seated all. Think of the the gruff and tough 70-year-old guy that's like, I played the game way back when. Uh, you, I don't need some stats geek that's telling me how the game is. You never played the game. You couldn't hit a baseball. And it's like, okay, but what if your eyes are seeing it wrong? And I'm not talking about bad vision. What if your perception and your mind has it wrong? What if you happen to have built a little bit of a relationship with so-and-so player and you know he's a great kid and you're a little bit influenced by that? Now you have those numbers that are going to say, but the data says otherwise, or the data confirms what you're seeing. The flip side is those data people, the analytics people, uh, oftentimes didn't play the game. They might have. And they're saying, I mean, here are the numbers. What more do you need to see? Well, there's a little more nuance than that. that. And how do we know sometimes it, wh- why is that player struggling? Is it because there's a slight adjustment that he needs to make? Is there something going on at home? I think when you put it all together, you have the full pie. If you're only going to use one of these, your eyes or the numbers, I think you're doing yourself a disservice. That that is a that is a completely brilliant uh, way of thinking about this. And I'll tell you what it makes me think of is uh, you know this over reliance on data and technology. Zillow just lost a ton of money in the last year or two uh, because they analyze things by zip code. But real estate is a street by street kind of game, and their computers lumped the, the 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 real estate into buckets that were too big and they ended up uh you know getting their butts kicked because uh they didn't get the prices right on a lot of these pieces of real estate and they lost a tremendous amount of money i mean billions of dollars apparently in their write downs so, it, so really fascinating uh that you have to have both uh kind of the, the rough and tough, the, the gruff people. And it's funny how movies always portray those people as rough and tough. You know, they do a good job with that. So, um, and, and, you know, I mean, like the other thing, Joel, is I've had, uh, you know, people of influence, um, you know, a manager, a general manager in the baseball world say to me, hey, what do you, what do you know about this player? You know, maybe they know that I knew him in the past or, hey, who would, who would you start on so-and-so? Now, I'm not saying that happens every day. That No one's picking my brain asking me who to put in a lineup, right? But every now and then, it might come up. And it's not like, and I didn't play the game. I mean, at anything other than a little league type of level. I'm a talker. But <laughs> they're not asking my opinion. But they're just asking my opinion. They're not going to be like, well, Joel said this, so let's go. I mean, I certainly hope not, right? Uh, I was just having a... A discussion the other day with a higher up with the Royals, and I said something like, "Well, it's pretty obvious who your opening day starting pitcher is." And this person said back to me, "Do you think so?" And I'm like, "I think so." And and he said, "Well, who would you start?" And I said, "Well, nobody cares what I have to say." And they said, "Well, who would you start?" And I said it. Now, do I have a vote in it? No, but maybe I'm one of the tiniest, smaller than one percent piece of data, and you start picking the brains of other people. Right. I mean, isn't that what good leaders do anyway? Hey, let me let me hear what everybody's having to say. And ultimately, I'm going to make that decision. But that person is basically saying, I don't want to turn my back on anything because you never know what might help me get there. And maybe the tiniest little piece and the tiniest of those pieces all start to add up 
and show you that, wait a minute, it's very obvious this is the right way. So I'm not a really good example of it, but I think that's what all this data is. That's what all those sets of eyes are. That's what, uh, you know, in, in, in any of the situations you're talking about, if we're going to put all of our eggs in one basket, you better hope it works. Yeah, that's really that's really interesting. You know, baseball is an old fashioned game. You know, I mean, it um, you sit on the ballpark. It just it's it kind of moves a little slow. There are a lot of rule changes that have happened here uh, recently, you know, being lined up for this season. Do you think that a lot of these rule changes uh, change the kind of the flavor of the game? Do, do you think that they're positive or negative? I mean, do you think it's changing yeah. the game? And, you know, what do you think? Well, let me bring this back to a little bit of business, too. Um, not that it has to be, but I, I think it helps. And I, I think about, you know, even this podcast, the way that I, I speak to audiences uh, about how to make them better. And my audiences aren't trying to get better at baseball. But name me a business today in 2023 that is operating the way they did 50 years ago. Well, there's not very many. Years ago. Not, very, not very many. They're not around if they're still operating the way they were. One of my favorite quotes that appeared on my podcast, I don't know if a quote appears on a podcast if I'm getting technical, but you know what I mean. Uh, one of my favorite quotes that I heard on my podcast, and it ended up being in, in the book that I wrote, was from the current CEO of H&R Block, uh, which is a company that is headquartered out of Kansas City. Everybody knows what H&R Block is, right? I mean, if you don't know what H&R Block is, I can't help you. But that's a company that's been around for how long doing taxes? You cannot do taxes in 2023 like you did in 1950. You can't really do taxes in 2023 the way you did in 1990. You might be able to do taxes the way you did them with maybe your oldest clients, the way you used to do them. But your younger clients may want to actually be able to do it over their phone, on their iPad. They may not want to come in face to face, on and on and on. The quote from Jeff Jones was, there's a slippery slope between tradition and irrelevance. And I think about that a lot in terms of any of the big companies out there, but it could be anyone. Think about a, I don't want to say mom and pop, but a medium-sized company that is third generation, fourth generation. You know, Joel, as well as I do, it's not simple enough just to pass it on from generation to generation. That third generation family member cannot run it the same way that they did 40, 50 years ago. They could do so with the same principles. They could do so with the same values, but you have to be able to adapt to the times. So in the case of, say, an H&R Block, uh, they're, they're known for what they're known for, for doing taxes, but they can't just live. Uh, the, the other piece to the quote, and I'll, I'll paraphrase it, is that that we should celebrate our past, but we can't live in the past. And so, you know, I, I see that with these new rules. We have this romanticized perception of baseball, and I think for good reason, because for many of us that are of an older age, and I'll put myself in there now, I'm 50, I can remember sitting in my room. And then, yes, we had TV when I was a kid. We didn't have all the channels we do now, right? And the games weren't even on cable. They were on regular TV, and not every game was televised. Shoot, when I got to Kansas City in 2008, we did 140 of 162 games. There were 22 games that just were not seen, which is unheard of now. And before I got there, at one point, it was only 100 games that were televised. So everything changes. And what has happened in the ebb and flow of baseball 
at the same time that society and the world as we know it has no patience for anything. Thank you, TikTok. Thank you, Instagram. Thank you, uh, uh, YouTube. And, and all these quick hitting things. None of us have attention. Thank you, cell phones, smartphones. No one, I shouldn't say no one, people don't have the patience for the incredibly slow pace of baseball. Now you add in, along with the obvious television commercials, and by the way, that's not going away because that's what makes the money, but guys are slower now. Why are they slower? Oh, they want to fix their gloves. They want everything to be perfect. Why do they want everything to be perfect? Because there's a lot of money on the line, a lot more than there was before. Why else do they want to be perfect? Back to what you just were talking about before, Joel. They have so much information in their head. They have so much data available to them that you're now going to ask somebody to go and make a pitch, a perfect pitch, which could determine their future. And then think about all that data. So the game slowed down to an even slower pace. And so now they're going to take these new rules, most notably the pitch clock. And the traditionalists say, how in the world can you desecrate our game that has never been timed and do this? It is, you know, Babe Ruth is rolling over in his grave, on and on and on. And it's like (laughs) anyone that's rolling over in their grave, the Babe Ruths of the world, would have already been rolling over in their grave at the fact that everybody tries to hit home runs, everybody's swinging for the fences, strikeouts are okay, the ball's never put in play, and it is a slow, plodding game. So, okay, we throw a pitch clock into it. And like all change, it's hard. It's going to take time. But, oh, my gosh, I'm watching this game, and it actually has the pace of what I remember growing up. So I think change is good. I think these new rules are good. And some of them will work out. Some of them will be adjusted. Remember when instant replay came into baseball and and it was really clunky? It's gotten better and it'll continue to get better. So, and I think the last piece to this is that for better and worse, technology has changed everything. So everybody wants, everybody says that the umpires, these are the worst umpires ever. We say that in baseball. We say that in basketball. These guys, this is the worst officiating crew in the NFL. Are they really that much worse? They're in better shape, just like the athletes. They have more tools available to them to measure and watch video back and all that. Is it possible we think they're worse because the cameras are better? It exposes more, the high definition, the ability of instant replay. So all of this technology has raised our standards for something more. You know, one of the things that I notice you know, especially the uh, the strike, you know, the strike box that's uh, that's on TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, these guys get it right like ninety five percent of the time. I yep. mean, they they really they really do a pretty amazing job. They don't get it right every time, but you know, I mean, I wonder. I mean, it seems to me like your your concept about traditionalists and Babe Ruth rolling over in the grave and and more modern people that sort of seems to be the bifurcation of our whole society. Is there's people yes. that want to hold on to how it's been. And there's people that want to kind of move to a new place. And, and we kind of have this tension that exists. And and like in baseball, I, I, how far will it go? Will it go to the point where we say uh, we really don't need umpires to call balls yeah. and strikes anymore because the camera's kind of better at doing it anyway? Uh, or, or you know, what's the purpose of the umpire? I mean, what's, right. what's the purpose of a lot of things in business? Is it really just for show mm-hmm. if there's a better way to do it? Like, why do we hold on to one tradition and not another tradition? And that's in business and in baseball. What do you think? Right. 
I mean, when are we going to all robots, right? Uh, I mean, it's uh, the artificial intelligence. The uh, It's scary a little bit too. Uh, and I'll, I think I'll still get back to, you know, what we talked about in one of the previous answers of the data versus what the eye see is that can you find a happy medium? Because like you can program all this artificial intelligence that'll send you places you never thought you'd go, but it's not always right either. And it's not always doing exactly what you want. Uh, I I think that we're getting much closer to, to a robotic strike zone, an automatic strike zone. And that might not be an awful thing, but there are other roles for those umpires too. And whether that means monitoring all this pitch clock stuff or out and safe. And, and there's so many million rules in baseball, by the way. Yeah, you know, what, what's a balk? What's a this? What's a that? I mean, I, I don't know that we can put all this into the hands of machines. If that's the case, we might as well have the, the players be machines and on <laughs> and on, right? I mean, it's just, it's not, it's not going to happen. So I think there's a happy medium. And and I think we need to continue to train people to 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 make whatever product it is the, the best it can be. But I, I the one thing I know for sure is that we have to continue to be open-minded. And I, I like to think about it in the in these terms. I, I have a 20-year-old and a 17-year-old. So two kids. And I need to continue to understand things through their eyes. Like I'll 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 have friends that say, my my mom or my grandfather or whatever just hates all this new stuff now. And I'll say, with all due respect, um, it's not about them. And of course, we want everybody to watch. And I'm pretty sure that the 75, 80-year-old that's always loved baseball is going to continue to watch, even if they say, I'm never watching again. The bigger fear is that that next generation coming up decides, I'm not interested in this because it doesn't speak to me. And so everything we do, maybe your target customer is not a 20-year-old or a, or, or a Gen Zer, but they will be at some point. They will be at some point. And the people that you've been reaching out to aren't going to be around forever. Although there may be something for that at some point too. Maybe we will be around forever. But, you know, like we we, we have to focus on what's next. It's easy for me to do this. Uh, this is my 16th season coming up of Kansas City Royals baseball. And I, I've been in the television business for for close to 30 years. It's my 16th season. Every player that I covered when I got here, except for one, is retired. And they now have kids that are starting to play. And the guys that I'm covering right now are much closer to my kids' age. So not, that keeps changing. I, my joke is always, as long as I'm here, my joke is that I, I keep getting older. Of course, we all do. But I keep getting older and they keep getting younger. So I better I better figure out how to get younger with them. Yeah. So how do businesses deal with this? I mean, what do you, what are you seeing in your experience? How are businesses, you know, kind of managing the, the many different uh, customer groups that they have? Because you know, you got the the older people, uh, you know, that uh, you know maybe as far as the uh, the sponsorships go and in, in advertising and baseball, at least, uh, maybe they're not the important uh, constituency for for certain purposes. And a lot of these rule changes do have to do with keeping the attention of younger people yeah. who have a short attention span. I, there, there's so many answers to this, but I think it starts with listening, being curious, paying attention, valuing what other people have to say. There's, you know, to use to use your phrase, there's your advantage play. Because think about in this day and age, I'm guilty of it too. 
how many of us struggle to listen because we're in a million other places, right? We, we have been bred to have no attention span just simply because someone's talking to you. I mean, how often, again, I'm guilty of this. How often are you having a conversation with someone and you're like, are they listening or not? Cause they're really looking at their phone the whole time. It, it's just common. Now I'd like to explain to people because of my television background that I am oftentimes on TV. I'm listening to my partner talking to me. I'm listening to the producer talk to me. I've got fans are over in the corner there yelling at me. Uh, might be a friend. I can't really tell. The bright lights are on. And I'm hearing three or four different things at once, and I'm still able to do a show. But I don't know how much I fully hear. You know, I'm getting little bits and pieces of everything. So the advantage play here is that if you actually have the ability to pay attention to someone and listen, you're already ahead of most others. And if you actually are willing to value what they have to say, I like I, I've built some amazing relationships with some big time superstars in the game. They don't need to hear from me how great they are. They hear that from everybody else. But you know what sometimes works is in the middle of all the, hey, can can I talk to you for a second to get this interview? Hey, can you answer this? Hey, can I get your opinion on something? I'd love your advice on this. And that person, even someone with much higher stature than me and a lot more zeros in their bank account than me says, oh, yeah, thanks for asking. And I think that goes across the board in any industry, no matter what our status is, no matter what our role is, we all want to feel valued. We all want to feel important. And so to me, it, this all begins with being willing to listen to your people, listen to your clients, listen to your suppliers, whoever it might be. That doesn't mean that they have the final say. Um, but if you're genuinely and authentically doing that, I think it puts you ahead of the rest. Now, if you're going to fake your way through it, people will figure that out pretty quickly. And so, I, I mean, to me, to me, the, the greatest compliment I can get is not, we love your questions or we think you're a great bro. Yeah, please bring it on. I love to hear all that. It's great. What the best thing I can hear from someone that I'll talk to, and I, you know, I meet with a lot of executives and CEOs because of my business as well. And, and if they're local, there's a good chance they're sitting in the front row and then, you know, in, in the good seats. And what they'll say to me is, you know, what, what, what I like the most about you is that you're authentic. And that's when, when I know that, that I have won, because if I can't be authentic, I, to me, at least I have no value. So I think you have to be able to listen, be curious, value people's opinions. But if you're not doing it authentically, it's a waste of time. Yeah, listen. Even even the camera can see uh, in a, in authentic people. I mean, it, I think it's, so. It's pretty clear. And you know, and I, and I fully agree with you that um, I think one of the best things to do is ask somebody for help. You just say to kind oh. of advice, opinion. It's all in the category of help. And when you ask people uh, for some insight, uh, they feel good. They feel important. Uh, you know, and, uh, you know, you just have to remember that they're giving you advice and not directions. And that's as uh, long as you keep those two things clear. Uh, that's just fantastic. Can, so, can I, Joel, can I give you my, I'm going to give you the short version. I know that's not easy for me, but uh, I'm, the, I'm the more talkative of the two Joels. Not that you struggle with that either, but um, just real quick, I want to give you the, what was the career changing occurrence and story for me. And I share it with most of my audiences when I'm keynoting. And it really comes under the category of building relationships and trust with anyone. But I worked in St. Louis before I worked in Kansas city. 
1998 through 2007. And so I was there for the beginning of Albert Pujols' career. And you could tell right away that he was going to be really good, but didn't know that he would be one of the greatest hitters of all time. There's only three guys in the history of baseball with more home runs than him, Barry Bonds, uh, Hank Babe Ruth and Hank Aaron, or Hank Aaron and Babe Ruth in, in order, and then Albert Pujols. And so I saw the beginning of that career. And I was never able to earn his trust and build a relationship with him until my seventh and final year, which means for six plus years, every time I asked him for an interview, my heart would pound through my chest because I was so nervous about what he was going to say. I don't know why I got nervous. It was almost always no. And, you know, when someone tells you no enough, you, you, you tend to not really like him a whole lot. And nobody teaches this stuff in school. But everything to what you were just talking about and what I, what I brought up before ended up coming true. I walk up to him one day in August of 2007. We're in Houston. And I said, Albert, can I ask, can I ask you a question off camera, off the record, totally private and personal? So that piqued his interest. He said, sure. And I said, I just need your advice on something. He said, oh, okay, well, let's go to the visiting batting cage. Now, your audience may not know that Albert Pujols was born in the Dominican moved to New York with his family when he was 16, and they had family that lived in Kansas City. So they went from New York to Kansas City. He went to high school and junior college in Kansas City. And so I knew that. He still had a home there. I said, Albert, nobody knows this but my wife and my boss, but I'm up for a promotion with a bigger role, and I have a chance next year to go from St. Louis to Kansas City, and I know you grew up there. Could you give me any advice and share any opinions about Kansas City and what you think? And we had a 10-minute talk, and he told me what a great place it is to raise a family, and you'll love it there, and on and on and on. And you know, he said, I can't tell you if it's a better job or not, but what I can promise you is this. You'll love the city, and I also can promise you that I won't tell anyone. I'll keep it confidential. Please let me know what happened. Two weeks later, I find out I'm, I'm going to get the job the next year. We're in Milwaukee. I tell him about it. I see him in the hotel lobby. He says, let me take you out to lunch. At that point, Albert Pujols is hands down the best player on the planet. He's MVP. He's the most feared hitter in the game. And uh, and I'm sitting face-to-face -face with Albert Pujols in the back of a Puerto Rican restaurant in Milwaukee, sharing stories about life. And from that day forward, every interview that I ever asked from him over the course of the next uh, 15 years, he did for me. And it just dawned on me that I never built a relationship with him. And I asked him later, hey, um, I got to tell you something. I didn't ask. I confessed. I said, you've been really good to me. We've built a nice relationship, a nice friendship. I, I, I've enjoyed it. Um, but I got to confess that you used to scare the living heck out of me. And he got bright red in the face. And he said, and this is the payoff line. He said, everybody wants something from me. Once I trust you, I'll do anything for you. And that right there is the lesson for anyone in any profession, in any walk of life. Because none of us propose to get married and get engaged before we've built the relationship. And so many of us fail to tackle that step before we ask for the business. Yeah, that God, that is just, that is a heartwarming story. I love that. I mean- uh, Changed my life. Yeah, I mean, I mean, listen, and the fact that, uh, you know, you you got his attention in the most innocent of ways. I mean, you, mm -hmm. you didn't have any agenda except for to uh, get what you got. And it worked out really, really well. And that's he, uh, he offered to he, he offered to sell me his house in Kansas City, too. I remember he goes, that's only 5000 square feet. And I said, uh, um, Albert, I, you know, I'm like 35 at the time. I said, I, I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, but we don't make the same kind of money. 
And that was the end of that discussion. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of broadcasters that uh, that pulled down some dough for sure. But uh, you know, hey, listen, you know, not based, well, you not know, baseball I'll, I'll tell you, I'm 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 thrilled, Joel, that you uh, that you came on the show, that you shared some ideas, and uh, you definitely shared the inside track, the best, smartest, and fastest way to get some stuff done: building culture, dealing with people, getting trust, the whole thing. And you know, when uh, when people do that. Uh, we call those people advantage players. And you already shared your advantage play, which is the whole idea of, you know, gaining trust in the way you do that. So, uh, you know, I didn't even have to ask him. You just volunteered it, which is, which is I awesome. I knew it was coming. I had more if you needed more, but, you know. No, no. Listen, I mean, you know, listen, to me, uh, your advantage strategy is your your advantage play is your killer strategy. The best thing that you do that really kind of stands out and separates you from other people. And, uh, you know, you you clearly have a lot of stuff and that makes you an advantage player. And, uh, we just appreciate you being a friend of the show and being with us and uh, and sharing and contributing and and just, uh, you know, we love what you do and appreciate who you are. Well, I appreciate it, Joel. It's been good to get to know you. And um, I'm, I'm glad to have been able to spend some more time with you. Awesome. Well, listen, man, thank you very much. And we'll look forward to having you as a friend of the show. Thanks, Joel. You've been listening to Your Advantage Play with your host, Joel Block. To learn more about how to work with Joel and cultivate your own high-limit advantage plays, visit theadvantageplayer.com. Subscribe to your Advantage Play wherever you get your podcasts.